There we go. I do have a scripture reading. So stand back up. <laughs> okay, now everybody, up and down. <laughs> okay, um, I picked a passage from Joshua for us to read together, because even though this is a, a, a spoken from the angel of the Lord to Joshua, um, it's a good word that could have been spoken to Esther as well, or to many other of the uh, heroes of our Bible. So let's read together Joshua 1.7. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that in your word, Lord, we find much encouragement, much hope, and much guidance. Lord God, we pray that we would commit this to our hearts and to our lives so that your community might grow, so that your kingdom might be present here on this earth. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So starting in mid-January, uh, the youth that are involved in our ministries here at St. Thomas um, began a study through the book of Esther. This study took us actually to the week right before Easter, when we celebrated the festival of Purim together, which was actually about a month late, according to the Jewish calendar, um, the celebration of Purim uh, celebrates God's acts of deliverance. Um, but when it came to discussing our theme for this year's youth service, which uh, the youth will be participating at the 1030 service in a lot of areas, um, but Esther was clearly the top choice from our students. And so um, I began working with some of the students and... Um, we wanted to share with you some of what we gleaned from spending time with Esther, Mordecai, Haman, and King Xerxes and their various supporting cast members. Our focus today is on the pivotal moment of Esther 5, 1 through 8, when Esther approaches King Xerxes for the first time. Um, but I want to review some of what happens before that. As I introduced the story of this young Jewish maiden turned queen to our youth, I made them aware of, of a particular peculiarity present in the telling of this passage, of this story. Within the book of Esther, there is no clear reference to God. In fact, the name of God is not mentioned throughout the entire book. We may wonder then why this story is included in our Bible and what it can teach us about our faith. This fact, God's seeming absence, actually reveals in itself why the story of Esther is necessary as a story for the covenant people of God. Often in life, we feel the absence of God. Perhaps we have been faced with great loss and questions about God's compassion arise. Perhaps a beloved family member or friend is ill or an infant is born with sickness or disability. And we question God's presence within the circumstance. Perhaps we're surrounded by skeptics that are always questioning our belief. And we start to question God's reality. Sometimes God seems absent. For the Jews living in Persia in exile, this seeming absence of God is felt on a very personal, national, and theological level. Being in exile means that these people have been stolen away from their home and away from their nation, the promised land of Israel. They could no longer experience worship at the temple. Since they viewed the temple as the very throne 
of God. Representative of his presence with his covenant people. The lack of the temple meant the lack of God in their theology. In a very real way, they feel God's absence. They feel abandoned because God has sent them into exile. Their rebellion against God's laws has driven them away from God. They imagine they are no longer worthy of his covenant love. Into this reality enters the young Jewish girl Hadassah, who is also called Esther. She enters the story because Xerxes, the king of the Persian Empire, is looking for a new queen. So he, in chapter 2, holds a beauty pageant of sorts. And um, he calls all sorts of women from Susa, the capital, to come. And, and he wants to be pleased by these beautiful young women. Esther, one of these young women, is of Jewish descent, raised by her cousin Mordecai. She wins the beauty pageant, becoming the new queen. Yet we are clearly told that she hides her nationality and her family background. Why? Well, Mordecai warns her. But it's really because the Jewish people were not well liked within the Persian Empire. Particularly by certain members of the nobility and the royal court. This becomes obvious as readers of the book of Esther encounter Haman in chapter 3. The antagonist of our story. Haman is an Agagite, a people historically at odds with the Jewish people. Agag, from whom Haman is presumably descended, was an Amalekite. The Amalekites um, fought with Israel all throughout Israel's history. Beginning during the time of the Exodus, in Exodus chapter 17, when they attacked God's covenant people as the people of Israel traveled through the Sinai wilderness. As the nation became established in the promised land, the Amalekites would often raid Israel, causing much unrest. So much that God commanded, so much so that God commanded King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15 to destroy the nation, to get rid of the Amalekites. Saul did attack the nation, but spared the life of their king Agag. It is from this man whom Haman is descended. The hatred still exists between those of Agag's descent and the covenant people of God. So when King Xerxes raises Haman to power and declares that everyone should honor Haman by bowing down to him, Haman expects this of all the people, even the Jewish people. But Mordecai, who serves King Xerxes, Mordecai refuses. We're not told the reason for Mordecai's refusal. Perhaps it's because Mordecai does not respect Haman. Or perhaps like Daniel, Mordecai knows that he should only worship the Lord and no one or nothing else. Whatever the reason, Mordecai does not bow down. And this infuriates Haman, who then manipulates the king into passing a terrible law. This terrible law basically states that all Jewish people within the Persian Empire, will be killed on the 13th day of the 12th month of the Jewish calendar. Once God's covenant people hear of this decree, we are told that Mordecai tears his clothes 
and puts on sackcloth and ashes. Esther hears of this and summons him. He then challenges her to take advantage of her position as queen, approach the king, and get this vast injustice undone. It is at this point that we enter the text from Esther chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Esther has accepted Mordecai's challenge, and she approaches the king. So if you want to turn to Esther 5, 1 through 8, you can kind of get uh, the part of the story that we're focused on here. Chapter 5 begins by stating that Esther puts on her royal robes. She claims the position of power that has been granted to her in order to seek audience with the king. Esther knows that in claiming the royalty that is hers, she has a better chance of gaining audience with King Xerxes. As readers and hearers of this story displaced by time, we do not fully understand the risk that Esther takes as she approaches the king uninvited. In approaching the king without specific invitation, she could lose her life. Archaeological evidence shows that this is true and that Esther had much to fear. Two bas-reliefs have been excavated from Persepolis, showing a Persian king who very well could have been Xerxes or Darius or one of the other Persian kings. And this Persian king is seated on the throne and he's holding a scepter. Behind him, there's a, a group of, of court servants. One of those court servants is holding an axe. The executioner. So when someone would approach the king uninvited, the king would have two choices by law. The king could extend his scepter and invite that person. Or the king could turn to his executioner and get rid of that person. Persian law. Esther walks into that situation. Luckily for Esther and for the Jewish people, the king extends his staff to Esther, inviting her into his throne room. At this point, the king asks Esther to state her request. And in typical ancient Near Eastern hyperbole, he offers up to half his kingdom. It's at this point that Esther shows amazing wisdom. She does not approach the king and directly ask for the favor of freeing her people from the clutches of Haman and the death he has decreed. Rather, she seeks to corner Haman. And you can read the rest of the story tonight in your personal devotions because I want to focus on what comes before. Why have I narrated the story up to this point? Most of us are pretty familiar with the story of Esther. Um, the reason that I've, I've taken us to this point is that I want all of us to notice that Esther is a woman of amazing bravery and unique wisdom. These attributes do not happen in a vacuum, though. They occur because of some necessary aspects of her personal history. These necessary aspects do not need to be exclusive to Esther, though. In fact, they should flow throughout the life of God's covenant community, throughout the life of God's church, of God's people. So that all of God's people might step up in courageous confidence and unique wisdom. Let us return to the beginning of the narrative. When we are first introduced to Esther in chapter 2. Immediately we are told that she was brought up by her cousin Mordecai. 
because she had neither father nor mother. We are also told of her amazing beauty at this point. Her beauty is not what we're going to focus on, though. We should realize that Mordecai and Esther are placed in a specific relationship, and in that relationship, they grow together, with Mordecai caring for and teaching Esther. We're informed that Mordecai is from the tribe of Benjamin, which clearly makes him a Jew. As a good Jew, in, in the mid-centuries before Christ's arrival, he would have raised Esther within the faith community, helping her to be aware of the history of God's covenant people and the promises made to God's covenant people. Esther was raised with good grounding and exposure to the truth of God and his love. This is the first thing that inspires Esther to step up courageously, identifying herself with the people of God. Her upbringing was in a Jewish home where she undoubtedly encountered God. Her upbringing um, prepared her for a future of doing amazing things through God's strength. I encourage all of us to realize that we have an awesome responsibility to raise up the young people in our community. Notice that Mordecai is not Esther's parent. Yet he steps in and raises this cousin, encouraging her to know God, even when God appears absent. Parents, grandparents, family, raise the children in your lives within God's covenant community. Teach them the traditions and stories of God's people. Share with them the truth of God's love as revealed in the scripture and through Jesus Christ. Train them up to live honorably, adopting God's moral standards as their own. In this way, you will prepare them for the moments when they need to stand strong and approach the trials of life. Second, let us consider the narrative of chapter 4. In this chapter, Esther learns of the plot against the Jewish people. Mordecai begs Esther to approach the king and intercede on behalf of the Jewish people. Esther declares her fear and the very real fact that if she approaches the king uninvited, she could die. Mordecai responds with these iconic words. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another source. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. With these words, Mordecai reminds Esther of her connection to God's covenant people. He also challenges Esther to believe in God's sovereignty. God's name is not declared at this point, but he dwells in the background of this story. As he does throughout history, an unseen hand, a spirit present and guiding us. God enabled Esther to ascend to queen. Mordecai's words come from a confidence, faith, that there is a source for deliverance. As a Jew, he is assured that that source of deliverance is God, Yahweh, the Lord. He also believes that Esther is God's instrument of deliverance. 
much as Moses was God's instrument, delivering the captive people of God from Egypt. We've already established that Mordecai raised Esther in the truths of her Jewish heritage, and that we are likewise to raise up young people, the young people in our lives, in the truth of the Christian heritage. In this scene, Mordecai provides another means for Esther to step up in confident courage. As a mentor in her life, he comes beside her, reminding her of the truth of God and his sovereign acts of deliverance. Mordecai declares that God is consistent in character, seeking to set free those who are condemned to death. We all can take on the role of mentors in the life of the young people in our congregation and community. A couple of years ago, I encouraged the development of a mentoring program within the process of confirmation in our congregation. I have challenged a number of adults in our congregation to form meaningful relationships with students, to help train them and guide them in discovering the truth of God. Many of these relationships have proved beneficial for both student and adult mentor. Some have had their complications and, and their rough spots. The necessity of such relationships in the lives of young people and the lives of older people remains. We will need Mordecai's in our lives. People who can step up and remind us of the truth of God and his steadfast love in the midst of challenging times. We all have a calling to be a Mordecai in someone else's life. Each of us who has journeyed any portion of life, walking with our Savior, knows the value of such a relationship. We know that we walk in this relationship with doubts and with questions. We know that we sometimes face, face faith-shattering realities. We know that there are seasons of light and seasons of darkness. We also know that we have walked through these times of brokenness in the community of God. We can all cite those people who have come alongside us, reminding us of the truths of God, reminding us that God delivers us from our just punishment of death. Therefore, we should all willingly step up, encouraging others so they can stand in boldness even as the threat comes or as wavering occurs, step up and walk and community with one another. Thirdly, we come to the end of chapter 4 and we discover that Esther challenges the community of God, the community of God's covenant people. She challenges them to fast. Fasting, as I recently discussed with our confirmation students, is a gift from God. So that we might seek after Him and discover His will in our lives. In Scripture, when a community fasts together, they are seeking God's wisdom. They are seeking God's strength for the community and for the people that make up that community. This occurs in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. When King Jehoshaphat declares a fast because there are three armies that are coming with their might against Israel. He declares a fast and then after the fast, God gives wisdom 
to the people of Israel. Not to attack, but to go out and worship before God. The fast in Esther is meant to strengthen Esther. Meant to strengthen the community in the midst of this crisis as they face death. In the narrative of scripture, fasting is never done unless a person or group intends to do God's will and be empowered by God's spirit. Again, the seeming absent God is sought after and directs Esther's path as she bravely approaches King Xerxes and hatches a plan to indict Haman. God has provided us with many means by which we might seek him and know his will. Fasting is an example of what many call the spiritual disciplines or the means of grace. Others include prayer, worship, celebration, submission, service, giving, confession, and studying God's word. All of these are provided for God's covenant community by God. He's provided for those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord so that we might discover God's direction for our lives. I challenge you to make these practices a regular part of your life, not only as an individual, but within community, as part of God's covenant community. When we practice these spiritual disciplines, we will grow closer to God and closer to one another in community. And we will also gain wisdom and courage to face those things which come at us in life. We see the character of bravery and, and wisdom was developed in the life of Esther. She was brought up in a home where God was referenced, worshipped, and served on a regular basis. She received encouragement to stand strong in her faith from a trusted member of God's covenant community. And she sought after God's will strength, and wisdom in a community fast. Let your life be a testimony of God through courageous confidence and unique wisdom to stand strong as we face the challenges that come before us, the challenges that this world brings to the truth of the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your saints, for the many testimonies we have throughout Scripture of people who turn to you in faith and discover you. Lord God, we thank you for your community that you have established through the covenant present in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for the church. Lord, we pray that as the church, we would grow together, we would walk together, we would learn together, and we would encourage one another to be strong in you. Bless us now, Lord, as we are a community together in this place, but also as we go out, speaking your name, declaring your truth to our friends, family, and neighbors. Bless us now in your grace. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sure. Thanks.